Welcome to Broad Gauge Gossips, the podcast where you can learn about the faculty of the Department of Military History in the U.S. Army Command and General Staff College. The views expressed in this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the Department of the Army, Department of Defense, or U.S. Government. Hello, we are here today with Dr. Bill Nance who is in the Department of Military History here at CGSC. So tell me about your background, your professional and educational background. All right, I graduated from West Point, uh, United States Military Academy in 2002. Uh, I'm an armor officer by trade, uh, and then at that point I served in uh, Operation Iraqi Freedom One as a tank platoon leader and staff officer. I commanded a tank company in the 3rd Armored Cavalry Regiment in Mosul in 2008. Uh, and then I earned my PhD in uh, military history from the University of North Texas. I taught history at West Point in the Department of Military History. And then I served in the 1st Armored Division as a uh, field grade officer. And I've done some time uh, advising the Saudi National Guard. And now I'm here at the Department of Military History at the Command General Staff College. Okay, tell me about your research and your publications. In what areas do you work and in what areas do you write? I am a World War II scholar for the most part. I have uh, I have broadened that to be kind of the U.S. military in the 20th century. Uh, where I kind of cut my teeth was mechanized cavalry in the Second World War. I spent a good amount of time kind of seeing how those, uh, mainly the cavalry groups, so regimental size formations, uh, maneuvered and fought on the operational battlefield and shaped how corps, how the U.S. Army fought. What I discovered is, is that the U.S. Army, whereas we may have had a broad front, was actually they could concentrate when they needed to because the cavalry was holding the rest of the front. So that was kind of where I cut my teeth, got my start. And where I've uh, since shifted is uh, I've been taking a look at command and leadership in the Second World War. Um, while I was researching the cavalry, I became uh, fascinated with the story of the Ninth Army. Uh, who were right on the flank between the 21st Army Group British, or Commonwealth, and the 12th Army Group American. And this army was called Uncommonly Normal. Uh, and it was weird because, because of everything we know about the uh, conflicts between Bradley and Montgomery and Eisenhower, this army was on the fault line of all of that. And I was fascinated because an army that's on the fault line of so much conflict and controversy should not be normal. They should be a basket case. So that's what got me focused on, in on studying this. And what I've discovered is it was really in the person of Simpson and his chief of staff. So that's kind of where I'm studying at right now. Okay. Uh, in addition to the core and AOC courses, what do you do at CGSC? What do you teach here? I have two primary electives that I teach. The first is uh, World War II in Europe, which I have uh, focused in on the American experience in Northwest Europe, 1944 to 1945. Uh, so we pretty much start on D-Day, do a little bit of strategic background prior, and we follow operationally uh, following corps and field armies from the landings at Normandy all the way to the end of the war. And the students get a lot out of it. Uh, they they've had the they've had the large scale combat operations that the uh, army has wanted us to focus on. But they get to see a practical demonstration that truly where we have corps, armies, army groups maneuvering across the battlefield, 
so we, we have fun with that one. And then the second course I teach is World War II in the East. And this is everything from the invasion of Barbarossa all the way to the end of the war. And this is a fun one because we this was the largest land conflict really in the history of mankind, uh, spanning all of European Russia and all the way into Eastern Europe. Uh, and you, this is where the bulk of the German army was destroyed. And yet we know very little about it. So it's a chance for the student to kind of really dig into this campaign and understand what happened. And we talked about large-scale combat operations. We're talking multiple army groups on both sides engaging uh, across a swath of terrain that makes uh, anything that we've uh, fought across before seem like child's play. Okay, and I know you're also involved in the SAMS prep course, the 698. Yes, uh, that's the Great Campaigns one. Uh, I'm an operational historian by trade, and uh, it's it's a, I enjoy that one particularly because what we get to do is we get to look at how commanders made decisions, how leaders looked at what the looked at the situation looked at the problem in front of them looked at what they had looked at what they thought they knew about the enemy and then had to make a choice and it's i like leading uh field grades through this particular class because they already kind of have the baseline understanding of the tactical level they they've been there they've experienced it they have all of this background knowledge already but what it allows them to then do is then step it up a level and now they get to see, oh, this is what's going on kind of above me. And as they start to make that connective tissue from the small tactical operations where they were fighting to now the larger operational uh, studies. So it's using history, but it's preparing these officers for what they will eventually do uh, in regular uh, combat operations. Okay, and speaking kind of along those same lines, I know you have an interest in war gaming and gaming in general. How does that work with your teaching here? I use war game maps extensively in the classroom, uh, just as a, as a start. And one of the primary reasons I do that is because the war game designer has already had to think through how to make certain aspects pop. Uh, you know, the roads, the rivers, whatever was most important about that campaign. The war, gamer the war game designer's already done that work for me. And the students like the maps because they, they grew up standing around a map. Uh, so what I'm able to do, do then is able to put the war game map down, put some uh, acetate or some plexiglass over it, and just using draw, right, dry erase markers, we can kind of sketch out what's going on. And what that allows them to do is it's, as opposed to say a, a static 2D map where like that's up on a screen or something like that where they're trying to figure out what's going on. They can actually put their hands on the map just like they would in their normal pr uh, profession and understand how all of that works. I've also used war games in the classroom, uh, World War II in, uh, on the east, uh, the, the Russo-German War. We spend two full class uh, sessions on wargaming Operation Barbarossa. And we start them with very little uh, pre-knowledge of, uh, of the war. They basically done the strategic insight and that's it. So all they know about Operation Barbarossa is what they themselves brought into the uh, classroom. And what we do is we have them fight out the campaign. Uh, one, one student plays the Germans, one student plays the Soviets, and then we swap the next class session. 
And what's fascinating is is that they, by using the war game, they are dealing with the same challenges and problems that the strategic level commanders of both of those sides were having to deal with. So what you see is that students are making many of the same choices that were made previously. So for instance, I've seen multiple times where we do the Kiev turn, where the Germans stop their eastward advance towards Moscow and turn south to pocket uh, Soviet forces. And everyone says, what a great uh, mistake that was because it was a distraction from the main effort. I'm like, okay, but you just did that in class, in the war game, why? And then all of a sudden they realize, oh, and it helps connect them into what uh, what was going through the minds of these decision makers. And then you add in the fact of, oh, you were sitting here comfortable in a room with air conditioning. This guy's out in a tent somewhere making a decision. It really helps them kind of connect those dots better. Okay, very interesting. You studied a lot of personalities and a lot of people in World War II, and as you said, kind of across the 20th century US military. Who would you say is the most interesting person you've studied and why? Probably the most interesting personality that I've come across right now, and it's no surprise because I'm uh, currently working uh, on research for him, is uh, General Simpson. And why I like him is, and why I find him interesting is different than why a lot of people might find uh, a general interesting. Some people will gravitate towards a bombastic personality or a larger-than-life individual. Uh, Simpson wasn't any of that. He was a tall guy, but that was about it. In fact, he was kind of homely. Uh, shaved, uh, went bald fairly early in life, and if you see any pictures from him, he kind of looks a little bit like a geek. Uh, but yet, he was so focused on the mission and so focused on getting things done in a professional manner that he let all of the stuff that you'd ordinarily expect to see out of a general officer just kind of go over the top. Very plain, very humble kind of guy, just focused on getting the job done. And after uh, almost 20 years in the Army, that kind of speaks to me. Uh, the guy that's not focused on personal achievement or personal success. He desired all of those things, to be sure, but he was much more focused on the overall organization and getting things done in a procedural manner that didn't rely on one individual and just kind of a neat guy because too often we focus on the man on the horse right the guy you know leading the charge or the guy with the personality that everyone's like oh yeah well, did he just say that and you don't see that very much in the modern era just this calm results oriented personality that is all about getting the job done and not about who gets their credit for it. The question we historians get asked frequently, um, less so for a modernist like yourself, but in general is, this stuff all happened decades if not centuries ago. How do you make it relevant? How do you make it matter in the classroom? What I find particularly helpful, particularly at, command, at the Command General Staff College, is these are the same is that bringing them to the fact that these are not characters black and white characters that only exist in a story these are people that were cold hungry tired scared name it they uh, they were there a lot of these officers have been in those same shoes 
So you can then put them into those conditions. And then all of a sudden they, started, they suddenly realize that, wow, this person had to make decisions much like I had to do. I don't have the advantage of being omniscient. I had to make this, I have to make decisions. So it allows them to gain context into their own lives just by seeing how these other individuals reacted. Also, it's amazing how often the challenges that we see in history are echoed in our modern era. Uh, we're taking a look at the Civil War, as a for instance. The, the challenges of how do I make an opponent submit to my will. Uh, I have a political goal. I'm trying to make this uh, group submit to my will. How do I make them do that while at the same time not so alienating them through brute force that I, that they just resist even harder? This is something that we, this is a challenge that we fought in Iraq and Afghanistan for decades. So, and it kind of comes through to the students a lot of the time. And it's not going to be a perfect one for one, but what uh, it was amazing. I had a student today uh, comment that, oh my gosh, I can see in these three classes the foundations of where I come from as a military officer because I see, oh, well, Napoleon, that's where, the, where a lot of our doctrine came from. Oh, the Civil War, this is where all the, uh, tech, where the technologies kind of came together. Oh, the first, and it starts to just kind of all flow together for them where they see where they come from, and it also gives them context and insight into where, into what's come before and where they are now, because they suddenly realize, oh, we're not just waking up in a new world. There was history that's happened thousands of years prior, and history will continue to happen. So they're living in a moment of history, and that helps them kind of put it all together. You work in what is probably the widest and most read field, at least certainly of popular military history, World War II. What's happening in that field right now that excites you? One of the things that I'm really excited about is a, uh, we're starting to see a reappraisal of uh, several of the kind of the lesser known personalities that have come out. Uh, a bunch of really good biographies have come out very recently on, uh, like one just came out on Devers, uh, who is a army group commander, yet we barely know anything about him. And it was fascinating is that he commanded both a French army and an American army. Wow, multinational operations, who knew? Uh, and yet we don't really know much about this uh, about this man. Uh, there have been uh, reappraisals of Bradley that have come out recently. Uh, I know that there's uh, several scholars working on Simpson, uh, as I mentioned a couple times. Uh, there's, uh, there's scholars reappraising Patton, although Patton's been done to death. But again, kind of taking a deeper look at these, not only the lesser known personalities, but taking the better known personalities and trying to place them into a broader context instead of just the kind of the the alabaster saint or the uh, you know the uh, the the big hero and instead okay let's actually kind of put this guy in context where does he fit and so i'm kind of excited about uh, people kind of getting into that field and uh, trying to uh, expand what we know past you know just kind of the big names okay very good uh, thank you for joining us today colonel nance oh, thank you very much you have a good day now 
Please be sure to check out our other podcast, A Confused Heap of Facts, where we sit down with military historians from the Department of Military History and special guests to talk about topics in military history.